to, to cry, holy is the Lamb, to worship, you know. Really appreciate the choir's ministry to us um, and, and, and setting us right. so easy to focus on yourself, even, and maybe even particularly, especially uh, in sanctification. Uh, am I doing enough spiritual disciplines? Am I doing this or that? You know? uh, but we are, we, are about this, we, we are about getting outside of ourselves, forgetting about ourselves. He's got us. He's got us forgiven, signed, sealed, and delivered. We're on our way to heaven. We're free to be about Him. And... Uh, we ought, to, we ought to act like that. And worship, worship really ministers that to my heart. I, I know it does to yours as well. You know, I had, a, I had an interesting experience. Uh, I think it was not this week, but the, the week before that. Hunter Cosgrove, he's on a little trip right now. He's not here, so that's what we do when you're not here. We talk about you. But he, uh, he, and, he was house-sitting for someone, and uh, really dog-sitting too. He's out there in Biltmore... Park, um, where the nice houses are. You drive by and you always wonder what they're like inside, and you just imagine and there's probably like a Ferrari in there, and just like, you know, just like um, money, you know, like you see in Hollywood, just like uh, antiques everywhere and uh, old money. They say, you know, just just uh, not 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 modern stuff like technology, but you just imagine that that kind of old money, like a fellow sitting back in the chair, you know, smoking a cigar. That's just kind of what you dream about. But anyway, I'm not sure if Hunter's supposed to do this or not, but he invited me over there. And um, he, I, he was bored out of his mind, you know. And so uh, he invited his pastor over, and I guess if you're going to invite somebody over when you have an empty house like that, uh, uh, it's good to invite your pastor, you know. Um, so he invited me, and I went over there, and, we, 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 uh, and as I walked in, it was exactly like you imagined. So you don't have to drive by those houses and wonder anymore. I'd like to go in. It's exactly like you would imagine. And so they have these big dogs of um, Great Danes, and they, you can tell they're all about their Great Danes because they have a painting of their Great Dane here, and they have two or three bronze Great Danes here and there. And you just, you walk in, you realize you're in a nice place, you know. And so you, you're thinking differently because you're in someone else's house. So, you, you know, should I take my shoes off? What, what do we do? And you just don't want to touch everything. Everything is, it's not like your house. I mean, everything is orderly. They have a cleaner to come in there. And everything's right where it's supposed to be. So I just walk right in there. We go into this big room, bigger than most of our living rooms. And that's this fellow's office. This is where Hunter gets to hang out. And TV, as big as that is. And just sitting there. It's a big old uh, bar, liquor bar, you know. Uh, some kind of animal somebody killed. A big fireplace. And this is just the office. You know, th- you can just imagine this. This guy sits there, you know, and other people are out making money for him. And he just sits there living it up, you know. And, um, but I noticed something. I was reminded about something. Uh, you don't find myself in that situation too often. But you really take care of things and you treat things differently when you know they're not yours, you know. So you invited Brent over there too, didn't he, Brent? And you sat down on that couch. You just sat perfectly still. You didn't want to move anything. You didn't, want to, you didn't want to mess around with anything, right? It's not your house. It's somebody else's house, and you don't know them. You respect them. They're apparently a real somebody. And, um, and that's what Hunter was doing. He was taking care of these dogs, and they were, they, they were a real task. You could tell he was taking care of that house. That was his job. He was the house sitter. You know, the, there's something to be learned there. 
if you and I can realize just how true it is that we're in someone else's house. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about your reality and your universe. You are in someone else's house. Everything you touch is somebody else's. Everything you have is somebody else's. You're in somebody else's house. And so we need to get a hold of that principle uh, because you treat things differently when you realize they are not yours. And that's what I want to talk about today. If you wouldn't mind, make your way to Mark chapter 12. <coughs> Pardon. So book of Mark, New Testament, the 12th chapter. People were always trying to prove Jesus wrong. They, they never seemed to succeed. It always turned out bad for them. And Mark chapter 12 is another one of those cases. In fact, you just entered into a series of dialogue with Jesus where Jesus is just burning these guys up. They'll send them, Jesus, uh, give them some question to try to stump him and he just, he just burns them. Round one, round two, I think, I'm not sure what round we're in here, but this is just a, a, in a sequence of times of Jesus interacting with the Pharisees um, and religious leaders in the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to begin reading at chapter 13. I'm sorry, uh, verse 13 of chapter 12. And it says, Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians. So what we have here is we have, the, it says they, that's the Sanhedrin, that's this religious uh, group that will eventually try Jesus um, and, uh, and, and execute him. But, so that they were offended by what had happened prior to this. And so now they, they, they're sitting around, they're thinking what to do, and this is the plan they come up with. They don't just send the Pharisees to ask Jesus a question. That would, that would have been too easy. They send the Pharisees and the political order of the day, the Herodians. That means people of Herod. So they, they're sent, you ha, here you have religion and politics together, and we're going to corner Jesus, and you're going to offend one of us. So that you can tell they, they really put some thought, not in, only in the people they sent, but then in the clever question they would ask. I mean, we're not clever enough to ask this question, much less even uh, answer it. So let's see what, Jesus do, what the question is and what will Jesus do with that. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Um, that might sound like an insult, but that's flattery. It's an Hebrew... Uh, idiom saying you don't acknowledge the face of man. In other words, you treat this man's face like this man's face. You don't look at the face of man. Uh, it's to say you are an impartial teacher. So just warming him up with a little bit of flattery. And then they go on to say, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? The answer you hope is no. We should not pay. Um, and so, real quick about taxes, they're they referring to an annual poll tax that was demanded by the Roman emperor from the Jews since about A.D. 6, uh, when Judea became Roman province. And so the, the Jews are asking, should, the, should we be submissive to Rome? The, the Jews didn't like the idea, especially the Pharisees, but they, they justified it. They said, well, we've got to just go along with, we've got to deal with the car, cards that we've been dealt. However, if you're claiming to be the Messiah, no good Messiah could say, Rome, we should surrender to Rome. 
because the Messiah is supposed to deliver us from Rome. So if he says no, if he says yes, uh, says, says no, we shouldn't pay the taxes, then, then all the people that are saying he's the Messiah, they're going to go, oh, so he's weak. So he's not the Messiah. So they got him, you know. Or, or then if he says yes, he, or he, says, uh, he says no, we shouldn't pay the taxes, then the Herodians will say, oh, this guy's an insurrectionist and they'll kill him. So they're like, either way, we're, we're taking this guy out of play with this brilliant question we have for him. And it's never a good idea to have that approach towards Jesus. Uh, by the way, all of those that have mocked Jesus, from politicians to so-called religious leaders that have mocked him, and you go, where is God? Where is God when the History Channel mocks God? Where is God when the professor uh, mocks God? Where is God when someone gets on the news and mocks God? Where is God? Where is God when, when a group like ISIS stands up and thumbs their nose at the face of God and hates God's people, hates the Jews, and hates Christians? Where is God? I'll tell you where he is. He's right in between these two verses, between where they think they're going to, they've got the upper hand on Jesus, and Jesus burns them. And that is no longer a metaphor in the end. They are in that in-between time where it looks like they have a good idea and it looks like they are going to correctly rage against God, but God's just about to correct them. And that day is coming. It came immediately for them, though, the, the correction. And he says to them, and pick up in verse 15, shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypo hypo hypocrisy, said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So they brought it. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. On the coin would have been a picture of Tiberius Caesar it says, Son of the Divine, and on the re reverse side it would have said, Chief Priests. Um, something critical to get here, it's going to play into what we're talking about. The word that Jesus uses for give, give or render, your translation might say, render to Caesar, give to Caesar, is not just a normal word for give, it's kind of a, a neat word. It means something a little bit more, it's a podote, and it means to return, it means to pay back, give back. So I wouldn't, if I'm giving you a gift, it would not be, I wouldn't be a podote. I wouldn't a podote you a gift. But if I, you, I borrowed your rake, I would then a podote your rake. I'm giving something back to you. It's the idea of you've been loaned something and now it's time to give it back. So Jesus asks a brilliant question. He toes the line and, and he, 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 he gives an even more brilliant answer. And that is that since this is Caesar's, and Caesar's done something for you, give it to him. But he does not acknowledge that Caesar is God. See, on that very coin it would say, Caesar the divine, he says. But give to God what's God's. In other words, Caesar's not God. Caesar's a little man with some coins. Give him his coins back. And then Jesus does what Jesus is going to do. He doesn't just answer his question. He's going to give us some, some real truth. We need to, when we get a dose of that in the world, by the way, and we... We can learn to answer people's questions, but also tell them what they need to hear. Um, 
we're making great progress for ministry. Give to God what is God's. Give to God what is God's. And it says the people marveled. That word for marveled is never again used in the New Testament. It's a special word. They continually were extremely amazed. It's the idea. They marveled at him. I think most of them marveled because they were like, he burned them. I mean, who could do that? Who, who could answer these guys like that? Who could answer that question so brilliantly? You know, Jesus is king. He's king, of, he's king of all the political leaders. He's king of all religious orders. You know, some of them are like, that's great. They're amazed by that. But I wonder if those that had ears to hear were not amazed and marveled because this provokes some very serious questions for us that are a lot bigger than taxes. Give to Caesar what Caesar. Give to God's God what is God's. It provokes a question. So what is God's? What is God's? And maybe to a real astute mind, it might provoke this question. What's in God's image? Where does God have his image where he could rightfully say, that's mine. A podote that. Give it back. That's mine. It's on loan for you to benefit from and to return it to me. Provokes those two questions. What is God? So let's think about that practically. Because I think, I think the transition that Jesus makes really is, is... You can just imagine him standing there, you know, the master teacher of this object lesson. This was a physical coin. This was real. This was a real part of their life. This coin is given once a year to the man. The man that it's apparently due to. Jesus' own words. It's his. Give it back to him. And so it's just, he takes that very real practical example and and then he says and now give to God what is God's we have a tendency to think giving God what's God's is some kind of like spiritual metaphysical way out there you know I'm throwing God a bone singing a song I felt something but Jesus just gets really really practical just as much as Caesar gets a coin God practically deserves to get something he's not asking this question how much is mine and how much is God's do I have any of God's stuff? And if so, what should I give back to God? These are important questions that, 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 that the student, the, the studious mind would be listening and thinking about. They would perhaps be marveling about those sort of things. And for that, I'd like for you to turn back to the book of Genesis chapter 1. So what percentage is yours and what percentage is God's? What do you give to God and what do you keep for yourself? I mean, we acknowledge that some things are God's. Some people say the church, they say, well, that's God's house. Or sometimes we'll talk about tithing and they'll say, give God your portion. You've got to give God his portion. And those things are true. This is God's house and that is God's portion. We have a tendency to think like that, you know. But just, just survey your own heart, your own life. What do you believe and then what, do, what would your life indicate? What is mine and what is God's? Obviously, you think something is God's. You're here this, this hour. You've said, hey, this day is God's. This hour is God's. This time period is God's. I'm here to be about God. This is, this is for you, God. I believe that's why you're here. I believe you believe that. and you're, It's obvious that you're acting upon that. Where are we with that? How much is God's and, 
and how much is mine? And in the give and take and the pull there, how much would we be willing to give if he were to ask for more? Does it matter to us where we draw that line? Is that an important line for us? Is that something we're just supposed to figure out on our own? Well, Genesis 1.1 really says it all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He will go on to describe how God created everything in the heavens and the earth. So it was a very real beginning where there was nothing. And then the scripture says, ex nihilo, God created out of nothing. He did not take a few existing things and said, oh, with this matter, with these cells, with this energy, and kablamo. God created out of nothing. In the beginning, there was God, the eternal being. What came before him? Nothing. He is the eternal God. He was not made. And before him, there was nothing. And by his own will, he speaks and he manifests everything that you have ever laid your hands on or thought of or studied about. He speaks. And he creates. Out of nothing, God creates. Hear that old story about this, the scientists who said, um, I'm, we want to challenge God. We figured out how to create cells and uh, we can uh, make cells reproduce. And uh, we, can, uh, we can even uh, bring cells together and uh, create a, a, a baby. And we can do this all in our lab. And uh, so, so God said, okay, I accept the challenge. And so the, the scientist went in there and he, and he got uh, out of the fridge. He got some of the, the egg and um, they had that all ready. And when he laid his hand on that to begin his demonstration to challenge the Lord, the Lord said, no, no, no. That's mine. You can't use my stuff. You got you to make your own. For the challenge to be legit, you got to make your own. Because God says legit. God's trendy. <laughs> but everything is God's. You're not doing anything, little man. You're not doing everything in your little lab, moving my stuff around. You're not doing anything. You, even you yourself, you're mine. Everything is mine. You haven't made anything. You really haven't made anything. You know? God gave some stuff. And then God gave some ingenuity. And some people cut some things and made some things and built some things. And here we are. We're, we're under a building. It's to the glory of God. He, he made man. And he made stuff. And we've put some stuff together. We have a tendency, we have a tendency to get lost in that and begin to think that we're real somebodies. In reality, we're nothing. We're nothing before him. He, in the beginning, God, and then God creates everything. Therefore, we, this is often called the ownership myth. God is the owner of everything. You own nothing. And so the question, how much is mine, is an arrogant question. None is yours. When God's asking the question. Now, socialists like to ask this very same question and talk about the ownership myth. Um, but it's, it's, it's okay for me to say among men, this is mine, because God said, thou shalt not steal, which means it's okay to own some things. But w not when government's speaking, but when God himself speaks. No, we own, we ultimately we own nothing. It is a myth, the myth of ownership. When the myth of ownership is dispelled in your heart and mind, you can begin to live. 
you can really begin to live, not as a little God, but as a steward that God has made you, as the manager that God has made you. You can begin to rest that this is not your home, this is someone else's home, and you have been graciously given this. What about the other question? God said, uh, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, and give unto God what is God's. Remember those words. Render unto God what is God's. Give back to God what is God's. Because this week, we're going to go out and we're going to seek to give back to God everything that's God's. We're going to seek to find things, identify them that belong to God, and we're going to give them back to God. That's what we're going to do all week until we get back to, to talk more about stewardship. So it matters to you. What is in God's image? What is God's coinage, if you would? Fast forward a little bit just to verse 26. God, being the Trinitarian God that He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it says, Then God said, Let us. Let us. Who's us? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Verse 27, skip down, it says, So God created man in His own image. The image of God He created him. Male and female, He created them. We are another creation. We're not just another creation, but we are a thing God created. That's what we are. I mean, we're a lot smaller than we realize. I hope somebody's little kingdom just blew up when we read that. I mean, we, we are small. We are things that God made. Let me show you just a minute why that's significant. It's, let's, just, let's just accept that. We are things that God made. We're not the boss. We're not gods. We're, we're things that God made. This is where stewardship starts, by the way. Thinking about the spiritual discipline of stewardship, we, we have to recognize that, that we, we ourselves have, have nothing. We own nothing. And we have been made... And this is, what, this is what makes us significant. We have been made in His image. And, and that doesn't mean that, that God is 5'6 and has a beard. That means that we have a capacity to reason. We have a capacity to engage the spiritual. Animals don't have this. We, have, um, uh, we are uniquely made to relate, not just with one another, but with God. And we are immortal. We will live forever, somewhere. So we're made in God's image. Perhaps there's more to that. Perhaps, perhaps there's less. But we have the imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. And because of that, God then says, Hey, this is my crowning creation. This is what I've made in my image. And you can have dominion and shall have dominion over everything on the earth. Dominion. Because I made you and I made this and I want you to look after this. And that is stewardship. Went camping with a fellow a while back, and we talking about stewardship. He said, what does that word mean? He said, I always hear that. People talk about being a steward of the earth. I never knew what it meant. It means you don't own anything, but you're a manager of it. And the manager is always going to return and hold the steward accountable. Just like if Hunter were to have let me do what I wanted to do in that house, it would have been bad news. He took me in the garage, and you know what was there? Ferrari, just like you expected. There was a Ferrari sitting there. And it could have been scene one of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. 
But then what happens in that movie? You feel so bad for that poor fella, don't you? Dad comes back and he said, I knew this was going to happen. He's in big trouble, right? He's in big trouble. You know, if they made a part two to that movie, you know, you only see part one. They go out and have a good... If you made a part two to that movie, you'd see that fella living in a van down by the river because his dad kicked him out. I, you know, I told you to stay here, watch my Ferrari, watch my stuff, you know? And Hunter said, no, Daniel, no. It's not mine. We can't take it for a ride. You need to think about that. Look at your kids. They're not yours. Look at that wife God's given you. She is not yours. Look at your hands and your feet. They aren't yours either. Whose image is upon you? God's image is upon you. You are made in God's image. Render unto God what is God's. Give to God what is God's. Now, you would probably look at this story if we were to stop here and you would say, I don't think that's history. That's not my history because I look around and I don't see this perfect paradise like that. But as you continue reading, you find out how they were bad stewards. They were bad stewards of what God had given them. God had given them to take dominion over all the animals and they listened to a serpent. God had given him to lead his wife and have dominion there, but he listened and obeyed his wife. They took from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. They were bad stewards of the opportunity God had given them. They said, no, it's not enough to just be a steward. We want to take possession. We want to own ourselves. We don't want to be owned. We want to own ourselves and be like God. And boy, were they wrong. They did not want that. And because of that, God had to come and get that lost coin in his image. He had to come and find it. He had to come and get it. And he had to buy it back again. That's what Christ did. He came and he purchased us back. You need to receive this gift. It's like gentlemen under Jason's leadership received this gift. Jesus died for their sins. He rose again. They surrendered to him. You'd be saved forever. If you've done that, you, you thank God. You have been twice bought. You're his. He owns you because he's your maker. He owns you because he came and he got you. And that's what we're going to pick up next week. For the invitation today, I'd like to invite you to come and, and you, you, you belong to God. But you can belong to Him as, as His child. You belong to Him, which what is what makes our sin so bad. But you can belong to Him in a way that's beautiful and precious. You're not just a thing that's on its way to hell. You are His precious child that He has no condemnation for. Because Jesus came to get that coin. He came to get that lost coin made in the image of God. God loves you. You're, you're treasured by him. And for that reason, he bled and he died for you. You have to put your trust. You have to put all your trust. Jesus died for your sins. Otherwise, the master is going to come back. And you say, what have you done with my stuff? And you say, I squandered it away. I rejected Christ. I lived for myself. I acted like I was God. 
and there will be a day of reckoning for the steward. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anybody that we know, any of our cousins. I don't want that for, for, for the unreached nations. We don't want that for anyone, but they're not hearing me right now, and you are. I just want to encourage you. If you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, if you're not absolutely certain, you receive him now. You receive him now. Have courage. Have faith in him. He, he will not let you down. That's where you're at. I want to invite you to be bold and just say, hey, come, come forward. Say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you want to be a member of our church, you say, I've been coming here. I like this. I believe what you believe. And I, I just want to connect formally with this fellowship and get involved. And I'm just, uh, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, I want to give you an opportunity to come forward and, uh, and present yourself for membership uh, as well.